Well, good morning. I'd like to give a, a special thanks to Dave for, for dressing up for me. <laughs> Wasn't sure you had a necktie. It's awesome. No, it's great. And I am, I'm really glad to be with you. Everybody doing okay? Yeah? Uh, I'm doing okay, but I got to be honest with you. I'm a little stressed out. I've been a little stressed out for a few months, and I know I'm probably the only one, right? You, you, never, you never have any stress in your life, never any rush, never any coiled up anxieties, right? You're lying if you said right. And maybe, maybe one of these scenes describes you a little bit. Boy, I tell you, some days, one of these days, it's just going to be like... <laughs> Why does it say pepper jam when there is no pepper jam? So that's how you want to play it, old man? No dessert? Oh, sure. We'll eat our dinner right after you eat this. <laughs> Sounds like a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Why didn't you just go home? That's your home. Are you too good for your home? Answer me! Here's where Cameron goes berserk. I thought about us all doing that last part, you know, together, but I thought that might not be a good idea. But that's what life feels like sometimes, isn't it? The pace, the stress of our lives has a hugely negative effect on us. How does stress affect you? I mean, really, how does it affect you? Stress makes me, well, it makes me talk to myself. I had a day recently where I felt like all I did was talk to myself. And you know what I said over and over again? I said, hurry up. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, Brian, hurry up, you're late, hurry up, Brian, they're waiting for you, Brian, hurry up, hurry up. I just wanted to stop and say, shut up, but I couldn't. It all started when my wife was out of town. I had to take care of our two elderly dogs. Yeah. Their names are high in maintenance. Not really, but that's what I call them. I had to walk them. I had to beg them to eat. I had to clean up after one of them. That would be maintenance, in case you're wondering. So I, I was late to my first, the first thing on my calendar, and subsequently I was late to everything else on it. Hurry up. Hurry up. Stressful. You know what I'm talking about. I bet we could go around the room, and every single one of us would describe a day just like that, day full of stress and hurry. But here's the problem. I don't know that it's just a day. Sometimes it feels like it's a way of life. Now, you might be wondering why I'm trying to stress you out, and well, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually not. But I want us to think about how most of us don't have a day that is filled with stress. We live lives that are full of stress. And the thing is, and I want to say this on the front end, the thing is, I don't think we have to. I don't think we have to live stress-filled lives. You see, I believe God has given us spiritual practices that can bring peace and calm and clarity into our otherwise hectic existence. As both Lucas and Dave said, we're starting a three-week series today called Uncovered. 
And this series is all about training yourself to be godly. This phrase comes from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his apprentice, Timothy. And in it, he says this. He says, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, I want you to notice something in this verse, and it's just, it may feel like it's just a small little component of it, but it's a really, really big deal. I want you to notice how Paul uses a very specific word. He says we should train for godliness. He doesn't say you should really try hard, put all of your effort into this. As a matter of fact, how many times have you thought to yourself, I'm going to try really hard to never do this again? or to be good, or to do the things that God wants me to do. I've done that many times over the course of my life. I'll try. But here, Paul says that it's not about trying harder. Instead, it's about training. It's like the great theologian Yoda says, do or do not, there is no try. I really wish I had a Yoda voice. That would have worked a lot better there, right? probably, right? But the truth is, We all have areas in our lives where we struggle to be like Jesus. And if we're honest, just gritting our teeth and trying harder, it isn't working. This is where spiritual practices are invaluable. Spiritual practices are things that we can do right now that help us do the things that we can't do right now. Think about it. It's as if you were to ask me, let's say you asked me to run a marathon right now. I would laugh at you. I mean, I mean, look at me. Thank you. Thank you for not laughing right there. I was kind of concerned. But if I were to try to do this right now, I would not be able to make it. There's no way. But if I took the next six to nine months, maybe a year, and followed a plan designated, just designed to train my body to be able to do so, I would have a chance. I would, frankly, I would probably be able to do it. Run 26.2 miles. In his book... The Life You've Always Wanted, author John Ortberg says this. He says, spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but of training wisely. And so during this series, we want to help one another train wisely. Over the next three weeks, we're going to uncover three spiritual practices that most of us have forgotten. It's like that exercise bike you have, you know, in the basement, the one like with all the clothes on it. Or the treadmill that now functions like a storage room with boxes all over it. We want to take the dust off. We want to take the dust off these spiritual practices and put them to use so that we can train ourselves to be godly. And as we do, here's what happens. Here's what happens. When you actually begin to train yourself in the things that we're going to talk about over the next three weeks, there's transformation that occurs. Your life changes. It changes in character. It changes in heart. We become more like Jesus because we train ourselves to be godly. Now, the practice that we want to uncover today is the forgotten practice of solitude. And I want you to hang on, hold on for a second. Like as soon as I said that, there's probably certain mental images that might have come into your mind. Maybe you think solitude and you're like, have you met my children? Or do you know my roommate? If you're an extrovert, maybe you have a mental image of 
of like a scary monk who hasn't seen another person in years or a strange hermit that lives off the grid in the desert somewhere. But here's the thing. That's not what the spiritual practice of solitude is all about. I'm not telling you to take your cell phone and throw it into the woods. Instead, I'm talking about making an intentional decision to spend time alone with God. You see, solitude at its core, at its absolute core, is simply refraining from interacting with other people in order to be alone with God and be found by Him. It's choosing to step away from human relationships for a predetermined period of time in isolation or anonymity to make room for God to occupy our lives. I love that. With other people, excuse me, refraining from interacting with other people in order to be alone with God and to be found by God. This is not a practice for crazy people. This is not a practice for the most spiritual, for clergy only. Solitude is a spiritual practice for all of us, and it's a practice that we need to uncover. We need it. But why? Why would we need this practice? What good will it bring to my everyday life? Well, I think most of us would say that we would like peace more than anxiety. We'd like calm more than stress. We'd like clarity more than confusion. But if we look at how we structure our lives, we sit in traffic. We rush from one appointment to the next, from meeting to meeting, from email to email. We take on more responsibilities at work. We see deadlines quickly approaching. We take kids to this practice, to that rehearsal. We spend evenings trying to help them learn new math as if we know it ourselves. We try to throw together a healthy dinner. We make plans with friends for the weekend. We run in and out of a house that is a mess. We glance at the laundry that needs to be done. There's groceries, there's bills, there's car repairs. And it's exhausting. And it's overwhelming. But let me hit the pause button on all the busyness and let's just, let's just be honest for a minute. And let me be honest with you. Sometimes... We do this to ourselves, don't we? Sometimes we allow our schedules to get so packed full of commitments without even stopping to think about why we're doing it. And it's not just busyness. Some of us are addicted to noise. Even when we're alone, we're not really alone. When we're at home, when I walk in my house, I turn on my television. I get in my car, Spotify is automatically on. When I go for a jog... When I'm in the airport, whatever I'm doing, there's earbuds in my ear. Noise. One author I came across says, we are the most noise-polluted generation ever. We are rarely alone with our thoughts. And so a question I want us to consider today is, what's the result of all of the busyness and the noise? What's the result? How does it affect our lives, our relationships? Our spiritual development. And if you recognize the life that I'm describing here, you see its effect. Anxiety. We are a scared society. Fatigue. We're exhausted all the time. A lack of clarity. What are we doing? Why are we here? All of those things come in. And we can try to live a different way. We can try to be at peace. And my guess is many of us have given it a shot. 
but it's a spiritual practice of solitude that can actually train us to experience life in a different way. Because as we feel this anxiety and fatigue and this chaos, in the midst of that, there's Jesus. And Jesus is dramatically different. As a matter of fact, when we look at Jesus' life, we see the exact opposite of stress, tiredness, and a lack of clarity. His life is characterized by peace, by focus, by a deep sense of purpose. And don't misunderstand, Jesus had a very demanding public life. He was constantly traveling from place to place. People always wanted a piece of him, yet he managed to be at peace. How? He trained himself. He regularly engaged in the spiritual practice of solitude. Let me show you how Jesus did it. I'll show you four different ways that Jesus did it. First of all, Jesus trained himself by starting his days with solitude. Mark tells us in the very first chapter of his gospel that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I love that description because we don't see all the day-in, day-out activities of Jesus, but here we see that this is how he started his day. And it wasn't a religious activity. It was a relational activity. It was with him and his father. How do you start your day? It's towards the end of last year when all of a sudden I had this realization of my life that that frankly, that it wasn't the way that it needed to be and, and that it wasn't sustainable, the way that I was living. And I started to trace some things, and I realized that when I get up in the morning, I would immediately go, I would grab my phone, and then I would grab my computer. And I would turn on my computer right after I grabbed coffee, right? because, well, it's not an addiction, it's just a habit. And, and as I opened, I would open my computer, and I would look at emails that happened while I was sleeping. I would look at ESPN. I would look at the news. I would look at all, and I would, here's what I noticed, that everything in me started to get tight. It started to coil up on me. Lists, activities, things I'm late with, things I need to make sure I get done, all of that stuff would happen way before breakfast. And thankfully, I remembered a time in my life that was different. I remembered a time where I began my day intentionally. And from that point on, I've started this practice. I made an adjustment. First things first. Before anything else, I stop and I practice solitude, alone, with God. And it's a difference maker. It's what Jesus did to train himself. A second thing that Jesus did and I love this, is that Jesus managed busyness in solitude. As I mentioned, Jesus' days were really busy. He was in demand. Luke describes it this way. He says, The news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. You, you get the picture? Wherever Jesus goes, there's lots of other people that gather around him. They heard about him and they would flock to him. He had lots of opportunities. Think about whatever it is that you spend your day doing. What if you all of a sudden had all these opportunities to grow in it, to be, whether it's more successful, to have more influence, to have something where you're winning? This is what I see when I read this. 
Jesus, the Son of God, making such an impact, coming down to earth, and people flock to him. So what does he do? The next verse tells us, and I love this, the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And it seems like the busier he got, the more committed to solitude he became. Solitude kept him focused. It gave him perspective. Solitude kept him in step with his purposes. Jesus knew he needed this practice, so he made it a priority. Isn't that awesome? In the midst of busyness, to withdraw and be with God. To be with him and to be found by him. Another thing that Jesus did is that Jesus made decisions in solitude. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus is getting ready to make a major decision. He's about to choose the 12 people who would become his apprentices, his disciples. And this decision would change the trajectory of history. These would be the people that Jesus would invest in and then send out to help people find their way back to God. This was the start of the church. It was a really big deal, this decision. So what does he do? Luke tells us, one of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him. He chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Every day, you and I face any number of decisions, some of them small, some of them big. Jesus found clarity when he spent time alone with his Father, and we can too. The decisions you and I make, they shape our lives. I mean, it's, it's a big deal. Don't you want to receive wisdom from God when making them? Solitude creates the space for us to hear from God, to be able to come to God in the smallest or the weightiest decisions and say, what do you want? What would be wise here, God? Show me. That's part of what it means to follow Jesus. And it doesn't mean that we have to take this long, extended evening like, you know, Jesus spent all night, maybe on the harder decisions, that's what we want to do. But even in the smaller decisions, being able to stop right there, have those moments of solitude. Either way, we see Jesus practice solitude when making important decisions. So, so Jesus starts his day. He manages his busyness. He makes decisions, all of that in solitude, in times with God. Here's the fourth area, one that's been probably most meaningful to me personally, is that Jesus processed pain in solitude. In one of the hardest moments of Jesus' life, Jesus receives news that John the Baptist had been murdered. John the Baptist was the one who paved the way for Jesus. He's the one that baptized Jesus. He, he's family with Jesus, literally, he's a cousin. He'd been killed. How does Jesus deal with this, this grief? Matthew tells us that when Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Let me ask you, how do you deal with pain? How, how do you deal with the disappointments in life? Pain? I mean, for me, my natural inclination is to try to avoid it, act like it's not there until it, like, screams at me. Or, on the other hand, try to solve it before it gets too bad. When in the reality is I need to process it, I need to feel it, I need to engage with it and deal with it. 
That's what Jesus did. He chose solitude, being alone, sharing the pain, feel with Jesus, excuse me, with God, his Father. When you do this, it's tremendously healing. The hardest times in my life, when I felt like everything in my life fell apart, everything, I found healing from God. Yes, there were lots of other situations and circumstances and all these things that that happened over time, but I found healing from stopping and withdrawing and going directly to God. And you know what God did for me? I'll tell you what God didn't do. God didn't magically wave a wand and control other people and circumstances and make it all fit. Instead, what God did was God, God, who was there all the time with me, God came and sat with me. Peace that doesn't even make sense would come to me. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced it too. And some of you, maybe the reason why you're here in church today is because you need it so bad. And could it be that in the midst of everything that goes on in your life, could it be that the practice of stepping back and spending time alone with God can change everything. And solitude's not the only action we take when we process pain. We have friends and family. You may have a small group that you connect with that helps. All of that's great, but I'll tell you, there is a peace that can only be found in solitude, alone with God. I want to be like Jesus. I want to live with peace and clarity and focus. I do. How do we do it? How do we dust this practice off? Let me just share with you really some quick practical things that you can do. One thing you can do is you can start by having minute retreats. Maybe solitude feels so foreign and almost monk-like to you, and it's okay. Let's begin our training by taking a minute to just be quiet and connect with God. Maybe literally 60 seconds to pray, to thank God, to be still, to ask God to be in charge. And maybe that's in your morning coffee. Maybe it's on an elevator. Maybe it's in your car. Whatever it would be, let that 60 seconds be effective to you. I know people who do this throughout the day. They take these little retreats, these one-minute retreats. That's a great place for you to start, even if you only have a few seconds, even if it's not absolutely quiet or completely solitary place. You can still begin to train yourself by being alone with God in a minute of solitude. And then once you start to do this, these minute retreats, where we really begin to experience the benefits of solitude are when we practice daily retreats. Start your day alone with God on a regular basis. For me, I want to ask God to be present in my life, to help me hear and respond to Him. Sometimes it's a few minutes. Sometimes it's a little longer. I have my Bible with me. Often I have my journal. But more than anything, my focus is not on me. And that's what we want to do with these daily retreats. Have a focus on God to experience solitude. I think you'll find it to be hugely, hugely helpful Because if you train yourself to focus on God at the start of your day, it's amazing how much peace and perspective there is throughout the day. The last application point I would give you is that as solitude becomes a part of training you to be godly, you might want to try an extended retreat. I know people who seasonally take an entire day just to be quiet, be alone with God. I have a friend that goes into nature and does this. 
As a matter of fact, the, the staff here at Community challenge one another to do this on a quarterly basis. We have a guide that the staff use that gives some ideas of how you could do this if you're interested in it. You can download it actually at communitychristian.org slash uncovered. But these three practices, or excuse me, these three ways of putting into practice, solitude, take a minute, take a daily time, or maybe take an extended time, they're a really big deal. And the reason why it's such a big deal is because in the midst of all the hurry and busyness, God is with you. God is here. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. God longs for us to be still, to be alone, where we can refrain from interacting with other people in order to be with God and to be found by God. Some of us have been so busy. And the world around us, we live in so much noise that we don't even recognize that our soul is crying out for the presence of God. That our soul is crying out to be with God. Can you be still? Can you practice being alone with God? Train yourself to be godly. Train yourself by uncovering the discipline of solitude. Let's pray. God, thank you that in the midst of stress, you are here. You are here. Thank you for the example and the power of what Jesus did to train himself to start our day, to manage the busyness, to make decisions, to process pain. God, we need you in all these areas. So God, let us experience you in a new and powerful way by practicing solitude, by being with you, by being found by you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.